Thank you, choir. That is one of the ones that is in the program tonight, and so we look forward to hearing the rest of that. You know, we tend to romanticize and make a hallmark scene out of the original Christmas, that first Christmas when Jesus was born in Bethlehem so long ago. It probably doesn't help that we sing songs like this, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm. All is bright. Now don't get me wrong, I love that song too, but the reality is the nights leading up to, the nights afterward, and the actual night of Jesus' birth were far from silent and calm. If you've ever been in a birthing room, you know that to be the case, and add to that the circumstances surrounding the birth, you know that it, while it was amazing, it was very real. What was taking place was real. Plus, this child was no ordinary child. This was Emmanuel, God with us, God robed in flesh, perfect God, perfect man, joined together forever. With all this in mind, we're setting out on this new sermon series, this Christmas sermon series, that we're calling Some Not-So-Silent Nights. You may have already put together that this fits really nicely with the series that we finished up last week where we looked at notable nights in the Bible. And in all honesty, every one of the messages that we're going to preach in this series could have fit in that series because (coughs) these two are notable nights. But we're going to talk about some not-so-silent nights. And this morning we're going to begin looking at the night of Joseph's dream. The night of Joseph's dream. And so if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter. Familiar words to many if you were brought up in church, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to church, then these words are probably not as familiar, but um, amazing words from God's Word here. You know, in addition to romanticizing these events, those of us who have heard them many times, we are in danger of losing the wonder of them. I know that I've heard these stories my whole life. I've been in church since I was a baby. I've been in church from the time before I was even born. And many of you have as well. Uh, But the truth of the matter is the familiarity of these stories can cause us to lose the wonder. And so I want to encourage you as we read today and as we go throughout this Christmas season to try to do your best to read and listen with a freshness with new eyes and new ears to really focus on what's being said here and try to think about it and hear it as if you were hearing it for the very first time. Matthew chapter 1, begin reading at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. You know, Joseph here in the Gospels was a remarkable man. He had a front row seat to what took place and really he had a unique perspective on all that happened way back then during that very first Christmas. And when we meet Joseph here in Matthew chapter 1, he has quite a problem on his hands, or so he thinks. He is betrothed or engaged to a young lady by the name of Mary, uh, but Mary comes up pregnant. Now it's important as you read the Bible, as you read these stories, that you don't read our culture into their culture. You have to remember this was a distinct time in history. And so you don't want to think about this in regards to American life. Engagement for us is easily ended. You know, we've got a couple that gets engaged and they might get into a fight or a squabble or they find out something or whatever and they can change their mind and they can call off a wedding pretty easily. Uh, they might lose their deposit and make a lot of people gossip and talk, but you know, there's, there's really, uh, you know, they could just proceed on their way. They could say, okay, it's over. Here's the ring. We're not going to get married. But that's not the case back in this day with Mary and Joseph. In this day, in this culture, a divorce was required to end this betrothal period. In fact, one scholar said that betrothals were so binding that if a woman's fiancé died, she was considered a widow. That's how serious this was. And so how in the world is Joseph going to respond when he finds out that Mary is with child? I mean, put yourself in his sandals for a moment. Uh, obviously, Joseph must be hurting. His bride is pregnant. He knows that he's not the father. But then think about those who probably are going to assume that he is the father. I mean, is it possible that Joseph is going to lose not only his bride, but also his own reputation all in one fell swoop? And he was completely innocent. Really, no matter what Joseph chose here, it seems that there was no way to really win. Have you ever felt that way? You're facing an issue, you're facing a problem, and you're trying to figure out what next step to take. And no matter what you choose, it seems that it's impossible and you really can't win. No matter what you do, you still lose. There's no winning. There's no coming out on top. And it's in times like this as believers we need to remember, beloved, that God is at work. Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible and still true. God works all things together for good for those of us who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And, and God is at work even when it seems like there's no way through, there's no solution, there's no way to get through this problem. You know, Joseph went to bed that night probably confused, sorrowful, Sad, but he would, make up, he would wake up that day, thankfully, with clarity and joy and gladness. I find it so instructive to consider Joseph's response to this situation in his life. And let me give you two responses that Joseph had. And, and they're encouraging to me, they're inspiring to me, they're instructive to me, and I hope they will be for you as well. You might want to jot these down because I think they'll apply to your life as well as you seek to follow Jesus Christ. 
Would you notice, first of all, that when Joseph was confronted with a major life problem, he responded in a godly fashion. When he faced a major life problem, he responded in a godly fashion. i got to admit, I wish that was true about me more often. I confess that my first response many times when there's a problem or an issue that comes up is not to shout, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Can anybody identify with that? I mean, you may have had a problem even this morning, and your first response was not, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I mean, this is a major life problem, or so he thought, that Joseph faced here. We're not told how Joseph found out about this. And I'm kind of curious about that. I don't don't remember anywhere where the Scripture says how he found out. It would be interesting to ask him that when we get to heaven. And we're also not told his initial reaction. You know, I, I do know that Joseph was human. So it's safe to assume that, that as a human, when Joseph first got news of this, that his initial reaction had to include, first of all, shock. He was shocked. Uh, he might have been saddened, maybe confused, probably felt betrayed. I mean, he was a man, maybe he felt angry when he found out that Mary was with child. The Bible says in verse number 19 that we just read that Joseph was a just man. That means he was a righteous man. He was godly. And Joseph wanted to do what Jehovah desired for him to do, so he decided that he would divorce Mary, but he would do it quietly. He would do it discreetly. We can see here as you look at his reaction, his ultimate reaction, that he showed great compassion He showed great mercy. He didn't want to publicly humiliate or embarrass Mary. Uh, Quarles made an interesting comment. He said, although many of Joseph's contemporaries would have viewed publicly disgracing Mary as a righteous act, Joseph's righteousness was the kind that exhibited itself through grace and mercy. There were those who said you should have brought her out. You should publicly humiliate her, embarrass her. Why? Well, you have to consider what the culture taught, what the Jewish life taught, and what the Bible taught. Listen to what he went on to say. The Old Testament gave husbands who suspected that their wives were guilty of premarital sex with another man to write to charge the wife publicly for shameful conduct. If found guilty, her penalty was death. That's Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 21. He says, although the Jews under Roman subjugation normally lacked the authority to carry out the death penalty, John 18:31, the Mishnah suggests that formal charges might still be brought in court against a bride found not to be a virgin. Obviously, this would lead to great public embarrassment. So the Scripture made allowance for her to be put to death. They often couldn't do that under Roman rule, but they at least wanted to make a point of it and embarrass her and just publicly shame the one that's found in this condition. But that's not Joseph's heart. Joseph was a righteous man, a just man, and he's a man filled with compassion and kindness. And we note here that before he took any really action at all, verse 20 says that he thought about these things. He pondered them. He mulled them over. I think it would be safe to say, since it said that he was a just man, that he prayed about these things. He sought the Lord concerning this. I mean, this was huge in Joseph's life. And God in His mercy 
did not leave Joseph in his misery. He sent an angel in Joseph's dream to let Joseph know that he did not have to fear. He could take Mary as his wife. In fact, she was actually being favored by this child. Look at what he says in verse 21. The angel says, She will bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, shall call his name, the son's name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph would have the privilege, the responsibility of naming him Jesus and helping to care for Jesus as he grew up. One scholar said the act of naming the child served to identify Joseph as the boy's legal father. Since the father had final authority on the selection of a name, you find that in Luke 1, 57 through 66. And he says here that you're going to name this son Jesus. And Joseph, really, you're going to help bring up this baby who's going to grow and save his people from their sins. And by the way, beloved, that is the main reason Jesus came. This is good news indeed. Why? Because we need to be saved from our sins. We need someone to rescue us. And friend, I just need to remind you today, because I know that we celebrate, I love nativity scenes. I have some personally. I love all these types of things that we see. But i got to always remind you of this. Jesus is no longer a little baby in a manger. He grew. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He voluntarily gave his life on a cross, shed his precious blood. He died and was rose again, and rose again, and he is alive forevermore. He's currently seating at the, seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. He says in the Gospel of John, he's preparing a place for us. He's going to come and get us again. And the Bible says that if we will trust him, turn from our sin and place our faith in him, we will have eternal life. He's alive forevermore. And by the way, I'll just throw this in. When he comes the next time, it will not be in a humble manger. He's going to come and rule and reign upon the throne of David as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Even so come, Lord Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the best gift you can receive. I don't know what you're asking for. I don't know what your desires are as far as Christmas. I hope you get a lot of that stuff. I hope you enjoy all that. But the best gift you'll ever receive is the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Him today, trust Him as your own Lord and Savior. Well, Joseph here is going to serve as the legal adopted father of Jesus. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves in the story. We know that when confronted with a major life problem, and I mean, I don't know how much more major it gets. I mean, you're about to get married, you know, to get finished the process as their, their world works. I mean, you're already considered husband and wife, but you've not come together, you've not lived together, you've not consummated the marriage. And in the midst of all that, you find out that your bride is with child and you are not the father. And so when confronted with a major life problem, Joseph responded in a godly fashion. May the Lord help us to do the same. But there's a second response here that is so helpful. And it's this. When tasked with a new, unexpected, God-given role, Joseph responded in faithful obedience. I know that's a mouthful. Let's say it again so you can process it. When tasked with a new, 
unexpected, God-given role, Joseph responded in faithful obedience. Joseph had this dream. He finds out the truth about Mary. He finds out that this is a favor that the Lord bestowed upon Mary. He's graced Mary. She's going to bring forth the Messiah. And notice what it says about him at the end of that passage where we read, verses 24 and 25. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. When he woke up that day, he went and he married, he finalized, finished out the process. And it says here that he refrained from having sexual relations with her until after Jesus was born. We see here more of his godliness. He practiced self-control. You know, many today won't even wait until marriage to become intimate. And here we have Joseph who waited even after he was married in order to honor and obey the Lord. And Joseph was given an awesome responsibility. It would be stressful. It would be taxing. Remember, we're talking about some not-so-silent nights. We'll see more of that later on in our series. I hope you'll come for all of the messages. We'll see more about how stressful and taxing this responsibility is going to be for Joseph and in his life. But here, Joseph is given a new, unexpected role. And it was God-given, given right directly to him. And he's going to serve as Jesus' legal father, his adopted father. Now, I imagine that when he went and he took Mary to be his wife, that Joseph ruined his reputation. I guess it appeared to the majority of people, and by the way, if you and I were living in that village, we would have said the same thing about him. The assumption was, okay, this is Joseph's child. They were unfaithful. They were sinful during that part of the betrothal time. We know there was talk. Did you know even Jesus heard the talk? If you go to John chapter 8, verse 41, part of that verse, the Jewish leaders are talking to Jesus. And here's what they say to Jesus. They say to Jesus, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. The implication there is we were not born of fornication. You were. Y'all realize we live in a small town. Most of us live right around here. How long does it take for news to spread around here? Be careful. Don't look around. Doesn't take long, does it? But imagine a village like this. Imagine the word that spread, the talk and this that haunted and and kind of dogged their steps throughout life that even Jesus heard the talk that he was born of fornication. But that was not true. We know the truth. We read the truth here. When you think about Joseph and Mary, this was not the plan that they thought that they were going to live out. But what I find so refreshing here is how quickly Joseph said yes to God's plan. He surrendered to God's plan. Let me ask you something. I was kind of struck with this, and as I was studying, this was kind of hit me. How open are you, Christian? Listen, honestly. How open are you, beloved? Are you to letting God do something new and unexpected in your life? I mean, we have a hard time, let's just be honest about it. 
We have a hard time with letting God do something new and unexpected in the church. But I'm asking you personally, how open are you to allowing God, welcoming it from God, looking forward to it, God doing something new and unexpected in your life? Think about it. Here's the reality. We love our comfort zones, don't we? If you don't believe me, let me come over to your house and sit in your recliner. <laughs> we love our comfort zones. We, we like predictability. We, we like to know what is coming. Let's be honest about it. Really what we like, are you ready for it? We like control. We want to be in control of the situation. We want to be in control of the circumstance. We want to be in control of our life. Think about Joseph's plan. Let's back up for a moment. Prior to the Holy Spirit giving Mary the Lord Jesus, what's Joseph's plan? I think we can summarize it this way. Finish the marriage process with Mary. So, so Mary, Mary, have children, do carpentry, Live life, die and go to Jehovah. That's pretty much his life plan. I think that's safe to look at that, thinking about the culture, thinking about the time, thinking about what we know about Joseph. I think that's the life plan. By the way, it's interesting, Joseph got to do all that. But there was another role that God had for Joseph that was so much bigger. And it is going to be an impossible role without divine assistance. To be the earthly adopted, legal, not biological father, but legal father to the Messiah. To be the father, are you ready for this? To be the father of God in the flesh. I've experienced it myself. I get to see it with my own eyes. One of the joys in ministry is you get to be at people's side during some of the greatest events of their life. The tough part is you have to be at their side at some of the most horrible events in life. But when we think about the joyful side of it, one of those joys is the birth of a, of a new child. And especially first-time parents. That's just fun to watch the first-time parents. You, you think about a first-time dad and everything's new and the responsibility and, and the weight upon his shoulders and he wants to care for his wife and he's concerned about his child and, you know, they gets the baby and, and they just, they, they hand the baby. Okay, you can pick up the baby. He doesn't want to pick up the baby. He's scared he's going to break the baby. The baby looks very fragile. You know, just, just the whole... But there's that joy, that, that wonder, and to see the dad, I'm talking about good dads now, to see the dad there with his, his little one and, and you walk into the hospital room and he's there and just the, just the joy that's there. But imagine you're not just holding a baby, you're holding God in the flesh. And it's your responsibility to help protect him care for him, and bring him up. That's your job, Joseph. 
Who wants to sign up for that job? Who wants to volunteer for that? But that's what God had for Joseph. Joseph had a plan for his life, but God had a bigger plan, a better plan. And Joseph came to realize that his life was part of a much bigger story. The story of redemption. The story of Jesus. And beloved, that is true of us, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We are part of a much bigger story. And we need to move away from self-will to full surrender. To, to say, Lord, my life is not mine. In fact, the Bible tells us it's not as a believer. The Bible says you're bought with a price. What is that price? The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we could say it this way. We're twice His at least. We're His because He created us and we're His because He redeemed us. We belong to Him. To say, Lord, I recognize that my life is not mine and I give complete and total control of my life to You. And I'm open and I'm willing to do whatever, wherever, whenever it is that You have for me to do. See, that is what surrender is. It is saying, God, I recognize that I am not my own. I belong to You. You are Lord. You are Master. You are God. And, and this life is not about me. And this life is not about what I want. This life is about you and what you desire. What's interesting is, as I mentioned earlier, is that the life plan that Joseph had, he, he experienced a lot of that. I mean, he did marry Mary. He, he did have other children. He did do carpentry. He did live a life. He, he helped bring up the Lord Jesus and He did die and go to Jehovah. So it's interesting that God tasked him with this new unexpected role and it was carried out in the midst of, you ready for this? Normal life. Normal life. We fail to see, beloved, that oftentimes what God has for us is carried out in our normal life. The roles, the tasks that He's given us. Joseph still worked as a carpenter. He still had responsibilities. He and Mary had other children. They had extended family. He had to do all these other things. They traveled. They worshipped. They did all these things as a part of their life and all that came with that. And in the midst of that, God says, listen, I want you to serve as the adopted legal father, the one who's going to protect and serve and help rear and Lead God in the flesh. Oftentimes, God wants to use us right where we are. You're not where you are by accident. Oh, to God that we would remember that and understand that. God is sovereign. That is, He's in control of all things. And God directs our lives as believers by His providence, that is, orchestrating all things according to His will to carry out His purposes. By the way, there's no accident. You go back and read the prophecies concerning this birth and every single detail was carried out to the very minutest detail. Why? Because God prophesied and God executed these things. And God has placed you where you are, with who you are, doing what you're doing, and He wants to use you in the midst of that for His honor 
and His glory. But it comes down to this. We must say yes to the Lord and His desire and His will for our life. And so my challenge for all of us today is this. Based upon Joseph's response, based upon this story, my challenge to everybody listening to me right now is this. Say yes to the Lord. Yes. Joseph said yes. Mary said yes. The question is, will you say yes to God's will for your life, for His glory and your good? Would you bow with me? I've left enough time today to really let you think about this for a moment. Some of you need to say yes today to salvation. That's the reason Jesus came. We enjoy all the celebrations and I'm thankful for all of that, but the real reason Jesus came is to redeem us, to pardon us, to pay for our sin, to give us the opportunity to have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. And He came for you. And He lived for you and He died for you. And He arose for you. He shed His blood for you. He took your sin upon the cross. But you have to say yes to Him. Recognizing that you have done wrong, that you're a sinner, and that your sin separates you from a holy God, but you can be restored to fellowship with God, a relationship with God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never received Jesus Christ, to say yes to Him today. You can express it in a very simple prayer right where you are. Dear God, I know I've done wrong. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't do anything to save myself. I need someone to be my Savior. I believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe He lived a sinless, perfect life. I believe He died on the cross for me. And I believe He rose again. Lord, the best way I know how. I invite you into my life. I say yes to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Help me to live my life for you. I want to encourage you, friend, if you prayed that prayer with me, to come and share that with me. You can do it during the invitation time in a moment. We sing. You can do it after church. But don't leave today until you share that. I want to rejoice with you. I want to encourage you. I want to pray with you. I want to help you. I want to answer any questions I can. And I want to equip you to, to start growing in your Christian life and talk about the next steps in your journey as a believer. If you said yes to salvation today, I want to talk with you after the service, okay? Now, the majority of our message has been for Christians. Are you open... For God to do something new and unexpected in your life? Is there a yes always on the table for the Lord? No matter what it is. Is your default always yes? If not, you need to settle that. 
Because you see, a disciple, a follower of Christ, that's what that is. It's saying yes to His instruction. Yes to His commands. Yes to His leadership. And so maybe today there might be something in your life and He's been dealing with you about it and you've been resisting. You've been putting it off. Maybe somebody here, He's touched your life. He's maybe wanting to call you to ministry. Others, maybe you say, no, I, uh, for me it's, I need to join the church or I need to get baptized or I need to serve in some area. Or maybe for you, God has impressed upon you to give or to do something or to serve a neighbor or to go on a missions trip or I don't know what it might be, but you've been resisting Him. Can I just encourage you to step out in faith today like Joseph and like Mary and just say, Lord, yes. I don't know what it entails. I don't know all the in details, but I trust you. You are Lord. You are my Heavenly Father. I, I love you. You love me. I say yes to whatever it is. Is that you today? Maybe you could do it right there in your chair. Maybe you want to come in a moment when we sing this closing hymn and you want to bow here and you want to pray. I want to encourage you to say yes to the Lord today. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for this awesome story. May it never grow old. May we never tire of hearing the story of the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. I pray, Lord, that You would give courage to some that maybe today prayed and received Christ to share that with me and others. And then, Lord, for Your children, whatever it is You're dealing with in their life, Lord, help them to follow through on their yes and serve You as You lead. We love you now and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a hymn of invitation. The altar is open. You want to come and share. You want prayer. You want Pastor Larry's here. I'm here. Others, if you have questions about that, we'd love to talk with you. 188 is our closing hymn. It came upon a midnight clear. You step out and you come as God leads you. 188, let's stand together and sing. Yeah.